Good morning, everyone. The first reading is from Malachi, chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in days gone by, as in former years. And the second reading is from St Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Ituria, and Lyconiatus, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Albine. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, may straight pass for him. Every valley should be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I bet some of you are glad that you didn't have to do that particular reading of all those names in the uh, first few verses of John's Gospel. (laughs) Thank you, Barbara. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we, we long to hear your voice. As we reflect on these words written down so long ago, may they have relevance for us today, for our lives, for our society, for our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Question to start with. We seem to be into questions this morning. Aidan's been asking questions about the meaning of uh, Advent candles. So a question for you to consider and reflect on. What is your deepest longing Just think about that for a few moments. What is it that you really long for with all of your heart, with all of your being? Hopefully it's a bit more than, uh, you know, your team getting a good home draw in the third round of the FA Cup or something like that, and something a little bit more profound. William James, who is an American philosopher, he said, the deepest longing in the human breast is for appreciation. Perhaps we can identify with that. We have that longing to be appreciated by others. 
Stephen Hawking when uh, speaking about why he invests so heavily in all that he does, spoke of a progression of, of science fulfilling a desire to understand our world. Maybe that's part of our human longing, to understand more of what is going on around us, how things fit together. Maybe at this point in human history, your deepest longing is uh, a new world order where COVID and pandemics are assigned to history, where the environment is cherished and injustice is no more. Longing is part of the human condition, a profound longing to be loved, or maybe in a consumerist society, a longing for more stuff. Like many prophets, and like the psalmist, Malachi the prophet speaks to the theme of longing. He's writing in the context of the Israelites having, to ret having returned to Jerusalem from a time of exile. And yet it seems that they fail to learn any lessons from their experience. There's an ongoing environment of corruption and of injustice. And this is leading to continuing poverty and to struggle. The people are shortchanging God in their worship. The priests are lazy in their teaching and often corrupt. And God's heart is breaking. And he's longing to see renewal in his people and on the earth. And once again, as we get repeated throughout the Old Testament, there's this cycle of, uh, of worship followed by disobedience and then being pointed back to God and further worship and then disobedience and being pointed back to God. Often with an anointed prophet speaking out into the particular situation. And Malachi here, he's addressing uh, all sorts of apathy and complacency and half-heartedness. And in Malachi chapter 3, God promises to send a messenger a messenger who will prepare the way before him and who will prepare for the coming of the Messiah. That prophecy is fulfilled in the coming of, of John the Baptist and then in Christ himself. And so in these verses we get hints of the first advent, Jesus' birth, but also the second advent when he will return in glory. And the message is one of hope. The Lord is in his temple. The language is of purifying and refining and washing. It's about being made clean. It's about a fresh start. It's about acceptable offerings. It's about humanity at one with its creator. But what it isn't is some sort of waving of a magic wand. Abracadabra. Everything's all right now. I think sometimes our longings fall into that sort of trap. We want to close our eyes and wake up and find that everything is all better. And maybe one day that will be our reality when Christ returns and there'll be no more sickness or crying or death, as Revelation reminds us. But in the meantime, here on earth, we're called to grapple with complexity, with our own human frailty, which we've acknowledged earlier in the service and being remade in the image of God. We just sung a wonderful song, Jesus, Hope of the Nations. Do you believe that, Jesus, Hope of the Nations? I hope so. 
I believe that and affirm that with all of my being. But it's not simply a case of Jesus being parachuted into the world, dying on the cross for our sake, and then everything is rosy in the garden. Off we go to heaven to play our harps and sit on clouds singing Hillsong's greatest hits. Jesus calls us to live here on earth, live lives which reflect his lordship and which speak out for truth and justice. Life in all its fullness is not a ticket for us to do what we want, when we want, where we want, with whom we want, just because we're saved anyway. The voice of the individual believer and the voice of the church is a prophetic one called not to condemn the world, but to challenge, to provoke, to question, and to allow God's voice to be heard. And so 400 or so years after the time of Malachi, John the Baptist preaches a message full of hope But it's also a message of repentance, calling people back to God. I think the church has become rather cautious about using such language. Words like sin, repentance, judgment, they're not popular. We fear that we might cause offence, or that it may just be an inappropriate language. Maybe we can all think back to our our childhoods. For some, it's uh, more recent than for others. I guess most of us had to go on one of these old-fashioned uh, kids' seesaws. In fact, mine was rather more old-fashioned than that. I think mine was just a block of wood that perched on something in the middle. The direction of the uh, seesaw was closely linked to where the greatest weight was. So if the greatest weight was on this end, then this end would be down and this end would be up. But if you took the weight off this end, it would tip round the other way. I'm sure we've all enjoyed playing on the seesaw in the park. And throughout church history, the the church has seesawed backwards and forwards between preaching a message of hope and optimism and one of repentance and judgment. Sometimes it's found a happy medium. Sometimes there's been particular cause why one aspect has been emphasised more than the other. Personally, I'm very relieved we're not in a sort of hell and judgment phase of Christian history. But then we see the stories on our news and we hear what happened to that young child, Arthur. Or we see the images of the migrant crisis and those who who perish trying to find a place of welcome and hope and safety. There's a danger in society where we want to very much proclaim a message of hope and of, of God's love and of welcome and inclusion and acceptance. There's a danger that we downplay the reality of sin and the way in which God longs to bring transformation and healing. And in the line of John the Baptist. The church must still stand up for godly values and must still call out sin. 
We see that, of course, don't we, in Jesus' ministry. We see that in Jesus' encounter with a woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. She's caught in the act. Everyone around is gathering, wanting to stone her to death. And Jesus leaps to her defense. He says, let the one without sin cast the first stone. A very clear warning about not judging others. And as the crowds slope off, heads bowed and put in their place, Jesus continues, neither do I condemn you. So he gives her hope. He gives her cause for optimism. Jesus sees her differently from the way that others are seeing her. But then he continues, but go now and leave your life of sin. There is still a clear call to turn around, to change, to live God's way. But it's a call that's free of condemnation. And that's still very much an integral part of the Christian story. We water down the message of Scripture if we shy away from raising our voice. If we simply allow ourselves to be blindly led by the prevailing winds and morals of society and addressing matters dear to God's heart. Aidan mentioned the, uh, the parish profile, which is uh, just a you know, fantastic piece. And we are so grateful for the team who put it together and for John of his design work. And our hope and our prayer is that uh, this and the work and prompting of the Holy Spirit and other things in the process, that through this, a man or woman will be appointed to be vicar of this parish who will bring plenty of hope and optimism but who also won't be afraid to challenge and provoke. Who will help us to engage with issues relating to the environment or to social justice or to personal morality and to growing our own relationship with God. As we look at uh, Malachi um, chapter 3 in verse 2, There's another question being asked. Who can endure the day of his coming, the coming of the Messiah? It's a pretty direct question. And there's a recognition that none of us can stand before a perfect holy one. We stand exposed before a perfect holy God. And we're reminded, aren't we, as we're able to look back, but ultimately it's only possible to stand confident in God's presence because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. But even though that final outcome is known, God continues his refining, cleansing work in the meantime. And so we see the imagery in that verse of a refiner's fire, where extreme heat removes the impurities from the precious metals. So the very best is brought out in that metal. We get the language of a launderer's soap, removing dirt and stain. Once again, bringing out the best. And throughout the arc of human history, God has raised up men and women to speak into the issues of the day, to be a prophetic voice, to challenge complacency, and to inspire commitment. In other words, to bring out the best. And we're called to continue in that same vein, applying truth to our own lives and holding it out 
to a world around us, not condemning, but provoking and pointing to a better way. To use the LICC language, we've reflected on it a little bit recently with some of the six M's, some of those videos we've shown. To be a mouthpiece for truth and justice. That has to mean an honest wrestling with scripture as we seek to interpret the world through God's eyes with an awareness that one day we'll be judged. Um, something I hope will help us in this task in the new year is uh, this book. It's called All Things New by Pete Hughes, who leads a church in London, down at King's Cross. We'll be using it as a basis of a teaching series as we move into Lent next year and in the period just after that. It's a book which I hope will help us to re-engage with the whole message of Scripture and help us to think more biblically about the world in which we live. If anyone wants one for a Christmas present for a friend, we've got copies for six quid. They're normally ten quid, so see me afterwards. But I want to finish by going back to where we started, that theme of longing. There was a longing that Jesus planted in the hearts of his disciples when he taught them how to pray. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think that's at the heart of the message of Malachi. It's at the heart of the message of John the Baptist. It's a message for us as well today. Where is our longing? Do we long for God's kingdom to come? for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to finish with a brief prayer. I'm going to invite us to join in with. It's uh, part of the Anglican service for uh, daily prayer during Advent. So those of us who gather on a Monday morning will be using this tomorrow as we meet to pray. And it reflects both on what has been Jesus' first advent, but it also looks forward to his return. So let's join in prayer together. By your first advent, justify us. By your second, set us free. That when the great light dawns and you come as judge of all, we may be robed in immortality and ready, Lord, to follow in your footsteps blessed, wherever they may lead. Amen. Amen.